Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast. With your host, Mark Kennedy, I'm joined again this week by Liam Breen. Liam, how are things? Oh, brilliant, Mark. Rocking performance uh, the weekend for Munster. So, first off, Liam, maybe we can go in chronological order. And really, we're kind of focusing here, ladies and gentlemen, on the Irish provinces, but also looking at maybe some standout ties as well over the weekend. I suppose Leinster, Connacht rugby, Aviva, good Friday. A good start from Connacht after about three minutes, Jack Carty scoring, and he had another opportunity to extend uh, the lead. But thereafter, Liam, my God, that was a demolition, a definition of how to put away a tie uh, by Leinster rugby at the weekend. Yeah, look, I mean, 27 minutes, and when Furlong burrowed over, that was a 21-3. I was like, <laughs> end of everything, like, you know. Um, but, you know, I suppose if you look at the game in the first half with Aki getting the yellow car and with the second half with Anger, and that certainly doesn't help either. Um, three nicely worked tries, actually, for for Connacht in the second half. At least they have something to, to take out from that. But uh, Lowe, wow, four tries for James Lowe. <laughs> I don't know how many tries he scored the last day as well against them. Um, that's pretty impressive. Um, I I I just I love I love the way to see how Leinster attack now and they just they they were able to punch through and then they have so many options like left and right um, seven tries and like double scores over the course of the aggregate so yeah I mean they look they they look like favourites at this stage for the European Cup. No, it was a quite an emphatic performance by Leinster Rugby start to finish. And I mean, we'd mentioned last week on the podcast for Connacht to stay in there, stay in the fight, keep disciplined. But it all kind of went out the window fairly quickly. And I mean, I thought the front five for Leinster really imposed their will. The poor Connacht front row just didn't stand a chance, did they, Liam? I mean, Scrum was in trouble from early doors, giving easy access points to Leinster. And no better team than Leinster really to... Um, really execute and uh, create the, the tries. They were, I thought, unbelievably clinical, both under a pack play, but also their attacking lines, their supporting lines, I thought, were, was world-class. It felt very New Zealand Crusaders-esque in terms of the supporting lines, the running inside, outside, Connacht defensively, really didn't have a prayer on Friday. Yeah, actually, to me, it felt more like French-like, I have to say. Um, you had you had the actual uh, flankers, van der Fleer, and and Doris punching through the middle, and you had the wingers um, basically outside them, and then you had G- Gibson Park almost in between those two running, you know, or or should I say Gibson Park and uh, and, and Sexton, so it was just uh, uh, impossible at times for for Connacht to know who they were actually going to be tackling next, um, but yeah, Gibson Park again, I must say cracking game he really is by far in a head and shoulders the 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 form irish nine at the moment like it's just incredible uh, i have to say yeah i mean o'halloran did okay uh, for connacht he, he was quite quite uh good um and yeah arnold as well physically like did as much as he could um but yeah i mean I don't know what Connacht do now for the rest of the season in terms of they have selected their strongest possible squad going down to South Africa. 
probably, you know, looking to get the two wins and, and three overall for us this season. Yeah, it'll be a while before they're back in European knockout rugby, I think. Kind of looks like that right now. I mean, the full squad has gone down to Johannesburg for the Lions on Saturday. Conceivably have to win all their games and really hope that results go with them. Um, and it wasn't, I think, Liam, fair enough. It wasn't as if Connacht were absolutely deplorable on the day. I just think Leinster, it was the adjustments that were made between the first leg and second leg. And I think it was something that Andy Fenn alluded to post-game. I don't know if this was frustration or not, but he mentioned the word preparation and for his squad to really start to learn from experiences like the Leinster rugby game on preparation. That maybe he felt that the preparation wasn't up to the standard required. I thought it was a very strange comment to make immediately after an elimination from European Cup rugby. I mean, what does that say for squad players within the camp? But I don't know if you had any reading on that particular comment. I know Jack Carty agreed with Andy Friend wholesale, agreed with him on the press conference, but what was your read on the comments from Andy Friend? Yeah, was was his comment not something along the lines of um, the Leinster were some of, they were not better players, but they were just better prepared overall. That's what he said. Which, in terms of a comment, well, to be fair, it's a bit deluded to say that firstly the Leinster don't have better players because they obviously do. <laughs> um, but yeah, in uh, getting back to the next thing about being better prepared. Maybe he is really saying, like, you know, that in terms of resources, that Connacht still aren't at that level, maybe of some other the some of the other Irish teams in terms of what's available to them, um, in terms of facilities and in terms of a coaching backroom team. Yeah, because as well, Jack Carty during that press conference, I thought the press conference was probably very interesting from a Connacht perspective. And, seeing where they're evolving and where they're looking to improve. And I mean, Jack Carty kind of cited how, you know, talking underneath the posts, you know, making sure you don't make a mistake. And for the bigger sides, they make the mistake, but then they keep it solid. But for Connacht, unfortunately, they give away a try typically, restart happened, and then they lost turnover ball again, giving easy access. And I think that is, I think, where probably Andy Friend, Jack Carty, probably in the management team are really pointing to. In these key stages, the consistency to really execute at a high level. When Connacht are at it, they're at it. But when they're not, or are kind of, uh, dare I say, under the pump, sometimes the inconsistency can happen in terms of discipline, but also in terms of the skill sets execution. And maybe that's what was leaning towards. I know Andy Friend had confirmed here that He's looking for one more signing uh, before the end of the season for next season. So I think with all the exciting development work going on on sports ground as well, I think you can see Connacht being ambitious here. Um, but I think they were just given an absolute lesson from uh, Leinster. I'll just throw a stat out for you here, Liam. We were talking about the, the first front days for Leinster. They combined for 137 metres you know, during their cameo. That was more than 50% of Connick's rugby's metres gained all during the 80 minutes. So I think that really kind of tells a tale of a tape there, really. I mean, from 9-10, the back line, sensational. And I suppose to see Josh Murphy in full effect as well, 35 metres and four carries. Really, was outstanding, nine tackles. Uh, Caelan Doris, Dylan van der Fleer, Conan. And again, the luxury of Leinster, Ty well put to bed, were able to kind of bring off the likes of Furlong, Kelleher, Porter, guys of this ilk, 
again for b- bigger better challenges i think is a definition of a quarterfinal aggregate how to kill off a tie leinster certainly did so i think for connacht it's just see how things go in the urc and uh new season uh new era they've kind of kind of mentioned here in connacht and i mean it's probably a time for andy friend coaching staff and squad to kind of reflect as you're in south africa i suppose uh Liam, we can kind of move to Tom park then on easter saturday afternoon 3 p.m God, I, I just enjoyed that game from start to finish, uh, Liam. Uh, it was just a classic cup tie, blood and thunder. Two teams that just left it completely out on the line. And a marvellous, marvellous performance from Munster Rugby to a man. It was a marvellous performance overall, but um, actually the, the, the Exeter came out and they were gunning for the try line. And, um, you know, while Carberry got his first three points, Exeter got the first try in 10 minutes and we had the, the double kind of blow of, of Murray <laughs> getting the, the yellow card. Um, but I, I suppose the good thing about that was like straight away, we won the next 10 minutes. We got three points and it ended up actually being 6-5 six, six, when they come back on. Uh, and Haley actually did quite a, quite a good cameo, I have to say, at Scrum Half as well. But um, yeah, from then on... Very impressive for Munster. Um, um, they played with the sort of pace and tempo, which we, we just wanted all season to see. Um, the back row to a man were incredible, you know, from O'Mahony to Hodnett and uh, Jack O'Donoghue just continues to go to a different level almost, you know. Um, and then in terms of Carberry, you know, the lovely show and go for his try in the first half. Um, and yeah, I mean, very, very satisfactory first half from Munster. Um, in terms of the second half, you know, Ver- Vermeulen crashes over and, and suddenly the tie is, is very tight again. But um, we had a few penalties from Carberry and then the piece of the resistance <laughs> was, I suppose, Served up to us from Simon Zebo and and finished off by De Allende. And like, who would have actually said that we would have won twenty six ten at home against Exeter and um, be absolutely full value for that? Now you could say that you know they were missing Sam Simmons, who's who's key for them as well. Um, but um, yeah, we had all the answers, and that was I think that was the most satisfying thing in the second leg. And um, the place was absolutely rocking too, and just one of those great days for from Munster Rugby. We had mentioned last week here, Liam, on this podcast that this was time for the Munster Rugby team one to twenty three to really stand up and deliver, and I think they did that in spades. And I mean, Exeter Chiefs came as they typically do. I think we were very wary of them last week. We didn't think there would be a whole lot in it. Now, granted, Simmons at 10 did really have an off day in terms of he's kicking off the tee. I think it was zero for three, was it, uh, uh, Liam? Uh, I know he he missed uh, two conversions, one um, one penalty. But again, take nothing away from Munster. I thought adjustments, ladies and gentlemen, this is the word I'm going to mention throughout the podcast. It's how teams re- really adjusted. The video analysis performed by the backroom staff how that was communicated to squads during the week has been quite pivotal in terms of who has actually won these games. I think Munster coaching setup can be relatively happy in terms of 
the adjustments that they made. I thought back row rise was just phenomenal. I think Peter Romani, epic. Um, Herculean was probably mentioned in Twitter quarters. He was just phenomenal from start to finish. And I think he was ably assisted by Ross Carberry's John Hodnett and Waterford native Jack O'Donoghue, as you say, is kind of getting to performances that we've never seen Jack O'Donoghue perform before. I think the turnovers won, I think, that really kind of told the story. 9-3. And I mean, that was kind of key. I mean, Simmons in the back row being out obviously was a loss. But I think from a Munster rugby perspective, they had targeted that during video analysis and they very much reaped the rewards. And I think the turnover conceded as well. Extra 15, Munster 9 really did kind of set the tone, uh, really. But I suppose going back to Joey Carberry as well, I know we've been kind of lauding the likes of Jack Crowley, Ben Healy here. uh, But Joey Carberry had to really deliver a performance at the weekend. And I thought he delivered in spades, uh, Liam, not just in terms of his try, where he isolated um, the prop on the outside, but I thought general game management and general link-up play, I thought was sensational from Carberry from start to finish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right there. It's his link-up play, play was absolutely on point. And um, just, you know, when you have an out-half like playing like that, it's linking so well with, with the outside backs, just the play is opening up for you there, you know? But for me, actually, as well, um, there was a penalty, I think, that what got us to 19-10. It was quite crucial. And it was just inside the the half, uh, so the Exeter half, just uh, just inside our half. Line. And that was that was one of, the, one of the key points in the match for me, to go, to go that nine points, the you know, at least the plus set convert to try ahead as well, yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely, um, and Murray as well. Just, just I thought Murray played like class as well. Um, I thought Josh Witcherly, you know, again, he hasn't had many, many starts at loose head prop, but I think he was uh, unbelievable on the day. And the lineout mall and our scrummaging was was top notch as well. Proper, it was proper pack platform from start to finish. I really did like that front row. In terms of Josh Wisterly getting his opportunity, John Ryan, we know, is a tight head scrummaging machine. And then we had Nice Scannell here, which, to be fair, you have to apply Nice Scannell because he did go down what looked like a serious injury midway through that first half. And I thought, this looks ominous. But in fairness to Nice Scannell, he delivered in terms of line out. I mean, line out and scrummaging was 100% for Munster. Really does tell the tale of the tape. And I think to a man coming on, like of Baron, Lockman, even Archer at the end to really close it out. I think front row wise, they can be relatively happy just given how things had gone in Sandy Park the week before. Again, more to do with the adjustments. I think more credit must go down to Graham Rountree as well and the video analysis team for really kind of pinpointing areas here and uh, re-delivering a quality performance from five. Um, particularly, it's great to see Thomas O'Hearn in there as well. But I suppose 68 minutes for me as well was a real key turning point here, Liam, as well, because Exeter... Never really went away. That key line-out steal from Peter O'Mahony. Wow. What can you say about the guy, uh, Liam? He just delivers when Munster requires time and time again. And again, another magnificent performance on Saturday to add to the many Herculean efforts that he's delivered Munster uh, throughout the years. 
Yeah, and, and and the crucial thing is he's delivered, I suppose, on the the really big days, you know, that like once a year, twice a year, where where you need that that, that delivery. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he's so masterful in 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 every aspect, you know. That, that's the key thing about it. In 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 obviously in lineouts and in, in turnovers, and um, he is one of the great monster forwards of all time. That's that's all I can say. He's in the pantheon with all with all those guys, um, and that's the highest kind of compliments I can say about him. Exactly. But I think from a monster perspective, another pleasing aspect. I mean, there's so many pleasing aspects to this uh, performance from my perspective here, Liam. You know, the crowd, the atmosphere was there, the cauldron atmosphere. Again, the attacking possession, really, we'll probably go to the Zebo, uh, Delende link-up try in a minute, but I thought defensively, as you said last week, Liam, defensively under Van Gran has been on point, and they needed to be, just given the possession, the attacking possession extra Chiefs had during the game. Munster made 214 tackles versus 105 from extra Chiefs, only missed 21 tackles out of them. I thought it was a phenomenal effort. I thought the defensive line speed was magnificent from everyone within the team. And I didn't really count too many times when there was kind of significant line breaks here uh, from extra chiefs. And I mean, once I think there was four clean breaks and even for those four clean breaks, there was monster support there to really kind of bail whoever was out. So I think from that perspective here, I thought it was a superb defensive display from start to finish. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I, I thought that basically, they really had, you know, apart from those 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 uh, try scores, they had very other little opportunity in in the entire rest of the game, and that kind of speaks volume for 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 how we held up. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, Zebo there when we're talking about Zebo's try, what we have to remember is we were we we were attacking with such ferocity. Jack O'Donnell, you had made a made a, a huge. Uh, carry on the right hand side of the pitch there just before a try and then I know that was flung over in a kind of a bad pass actually to Zebo who who it seemed like when he, when he got it that he had nothing to do but but like we 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 were attacking already with such ferocity before that try and we had done it all day and that was the most pleasing thing for me I have to say absolutely I think who Hodnett O'Mahony even John Klein, they were making the hard yards and really stretching that extra Chiefs uh, defence to breaking point. But what a cameo. I mean, the link-up play here before Zebo gets the ball was superb. But just for Zebo, the awareness of the Lende inside and to have that composure and skill set to absolutely execute the pass on the money to the Lende. You can see Henry Slade's reaction. I don't think Slade's expecting a ball to be passed inside to the Lende. It's just it was a wonderful piece of skill from Zebo. And before Slade can realise it, Delende has the ball and he's crashing over. You know, it ties over at that stage. And it's these key moments where Simon Zebo has returned to Munster Rugby. I mean, look at that back three here, Lean. I mean, all honesty, I mean, Haley didn't put a foot wrong. As you say, magnificent cameo when Murray went off. Uh, you know, he showed, uh, he's, you know, pretty, pretty mean uh, scrum half when he wants to be. But then you have Verl's Zebo. I mean, Delende, Farrell. If we can get quality ball, this is an outstanding backline. 
you know, and I think we'll start to figure out a bit of things here, particularly with extra Chiefs, particularly in that last 30 minutes. I mean, things started to flow very nicely. Yeah, they did, they did. And, and, and I mean, we have to take this, though, performance forward for, like, literally every knockout game that we have uh, to, the next, to the end of the season, starting with, with Ulster next week. And it shows, I mean, we can get to that levels, you know. Certainly in terms of, I suppose, when you're rode on by that sort of uh, crowd at home, you can probably get to a, high, a higher level as well. But, you know, it, it's, within the, it's within the team. And, and the first thing is keep all the young guys who are out there and did so well, you know. And, um, yeah, so we have to be very confident going forward for the rest of the season. Absolutely. And I still kind of think back to that Keith Earls, Chris Farrell, last-ditch tackle at the end at Sandy Park. Um, I think that was a pretty significant play in the contents, context of the tie. That can't be of remiss, but again, Earls, I thought, was outstanding in his work, his cameos as well. I think to a man, I think you're spot on here. I think this is the template. And I think we probably need to probably enhance that a little bit more um, with the victors that we're probably going to talk to now, uh, Liam. But I think overall, what a magnificent fixture. Again, Exeter Chiefs are quality. They're a quality side. The rugby supporter, first rate. Uh, the the sight of Jack Noel as well with a Munster Rugby uh, jersey on him in the stands, kind of watching the game. I think it just kind of shows uh, they're at, look, we've met extra chief fans both home and away. They're just outstanding, you know, their knowledge of the game. And, you know, it's a shame that someone had to lose. But I think, uh, you know, Exeter, they're a quality side. They won't, they won't be too far off the Gallagher Premiership. And again, next season, hopefully we'll kind of meet them uh, and renew acquaintances. But I suppose we can go to Kingspan Stadium here, Liam. And I think this was the standout last 16 tie, uh, personally. I mean, Munster probably running pretty much a close second for performance. But I think this Ulster to lose match, to be honest, from start to finish, was nothing short of sensational. What were your thoughts? Wow, like high drama, I suppose, right? Um, we had <clears throat> Balakum, you know, taking the yellow card from man the air, which I don't think you could dispute that. Um, so here's with yellow. Then we had a two loose yellow. And then Hume, yeah, Hume with, with the offload. It's kind of like he went, he was going forward and then he offloaded backwards and you, and, and McElroy just burst past him. Um, so that was, a, that was a tremendous um, opening try there for, for Ulster. And then, of course, we had, you know, there was a ter- terrific Ramos try when you, were, you had basically, I'd say uh, you had Intimac break to DuPont and Ramos and he went in untouched. It was just, that's why I think Toulouse, they expect breaks. So then when they do break, you're going to have two or three guys either side of you. You're going to have those options to uh, to pass to. And then we just after that we had an inter, intermac in, interception and you know 2010, I'd have to say that um, <coughs> you, you, they, that is, it was looking ominous there, but um, no, Ulster came back. Um, they got some some good penalties. The McElroy then the one hand to take for the try was unbelievable. I have to say. Um, and then he ended up being a, a yellow card. This was crucial for, for Ulster there in the 64th minute. The tie was still, you know, it was it was in the in the up for debate. 
Cooney, you 23 all. And then, of course, to DuPont, piece of magic, he he fixes his man and he's in another post. So, yeah, unbelievable time. Yeah, I thought there were so many outstanding sequences of play uh, during this fixture from start to finish. It was just un- <clears throat> unbelievable. I mean, I think Eden McElroy's two tries were nothing short of sensational. But we'll go back to the little general. I mean, Antoine DuPont, he just absolutely controlled things from the nine. And... I think the kicking average was about 34.5 metres per kick for Toulouse versus 23.5 for Ulster. And I think there were sequences there where Ulster were really kind of entrenched in Toulouse's kind of five metre out. And Dupont would make these kicks, 30, 40 metre kicks, relieving pressure. I mean, they were magnificent kicks, but then his overall kind of link of play is just sensational anyway. And I thought it was pretty apt that he... Um, you know, won it for Toulouse, but Toulouse were like passing the ball from everywhere. I mean, recall it was a, there about eight minutes to go where Ramos, under pressure, starts offloading back and then literally Toulouse playing underneath their stakes. I mean, it was just phenomenal stuff. But um, I suppose we can go to the Tom O'Toole, Rob Herring incident with Geelong. What was your reaction there? I think um, Batu Carly looked long and hard over the incident gave Tom O'Toole the red card. Rob Herring as well, involved in the incident, looked like a headshot as well. I thought maybe there would have been repercussions there from Rob Herring's perspective, but what was your feeling on the red card from Tom O'Toole? Oh, yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, like, I, I, I would have no real arguments with that. Um, it, was, it was, you know, kind of, again, when he's going upward, sort of, um, to the head um but yeah absolutely i mean i mean if, if that's the case with him well certainly it because it was it was almost like a double t- whammy you know or two at first with dane herring <laughs> coming in just for for good measure as the saying goes um so yeah i mean obviously he could have gotten something as well couldn't he i mean he could have got gotten punished as well um i suppose you don't you look you, you don't give like two yellow cards for one tackle or two reds so that probably wasn't going to happen realistically but um, yeah, look, it was it was that was fully deserved. Yeah, and I mean the crescendo. I mean, Mulster were bravely defending their line, but I think Dupont, you know, as you say, he sets Marty Moore up nicely, spots the mismatch. Balakon not realizing the danger, kind of looking on his outside. Tao was a phenomenal try, really, from Toulouse because there was phases of play there beforehand where. They really had Ulster Rugby stretched. And I think it was just devastating for Ulster Rugby. I mean, probably brings back to the Antimac try in the first leg. That kind of, you know, aggregate lead, we kind of said maybe focus the minds. But I think Dan McFarlane was quick to kind of say that maybe that was a pivotal moment in the in the tie. That, you know, if you were 13 points up, then it was probably a case of Toulouse being under incredible pressure. But I think for Ulster... I think they can hold their head up high here. I think this was probably the standout last 16. I think it was rotten luck. We've said it before in this podcast series that it was such rotten luck for Ulster Rugby, how they've done so well in the pool stages to then get pitted against one of the favourites in Toulouse. They more than acquitted themselves well, but I think this is the time now, I think, for Dan McFarlane, management and the squad to really reflect and start to make improvements for next season. Yeah, well, it's such as improves this. Week. I mean, they're, they're still they're still in big time in terms of uh, winning 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 the URC. Um, 
it's incredible to see, you know, such a, a brilliant young backline that that Ulster have put together as well. Um, and Vermeulen was like just a phenomenal force of nature as well, it has, has to be said. So, um, you know, in virtually every position, they have the quality to win competitions, you know. And I mean, if we if we think that realistically, Toulouse are probably up there with with Leinster in terms of the favoritism for the European Cup this season. Well, then definitely Ulster aren't that far off. No, absolutely not. I think they're one of the the chief URC uh, protagonists. I mean, kind of even look at the squad here. Likes of Henderson, you've Dwayne Vermeulen who had another monster game. Nick Timoney has been sensational. A guy that you could potentially say like Jack O'Donoghue, who doesn't doesn't he deserve a bit of a call up and maybe a bit of game time in New Zealand in the summer? But can I get your viewpoint here, Liam? Because I'm kind of looking down at the subs bench. Bradley Roberts, the hooker, didn't come on. Nathan Doak, Luke Marshall, Billy Burns went off after 57 minutes, and Rob Little came on. Did Ulster maybe miss a trick a bit in terms of not bringing on Nathan Doak and maybe moving Cooney to ten? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean that that's the kind of thing that you know Toulouse would would try and and think about, you know, and um, or even or even put Nathan Doak at ten, you know what I mean? Like absolutely. Or actually, funnily enough, we were, we're always talking about this. I don't know. We we like keep talking about it. Um, young young Mike Lowry as well. I mean, like you know, there are options, attacking options in games that that should be that should be looked at as well. But uh, yeah, I look, I look definitely missed the trick in in not bringing on guys to to try and, and change things up. Yeah, it was just a kind of a curious one to me because uh, such a talented Nathan Doak uh, being on the bench there. I thought you know, particularly going down to fourteen players, you know, empty your bench. I think even Bradley Roberts, I think probably probably was disappointed that he didn't get a cameo. Rob Herring, nothing wrong with his performance, but. I think we talked about it last week in terms of the likes of Scott Buckley, Munster and Sandy Park not getting any game time. Um, I think similar for Bradley Roberts here as well. I thought maybe just to freshen it up in the pack, maybe Bradley Roberts may have been prominent in terms of winning maybe a turnover ball or something with his energy. But just, yeah, it was just a maybe kind of a, a minor, minor point. But I think, take nothing away from Ulster, I think to a man, they, the effort was there. I think it was just literally maybe a little bit of inconsistency during the game. I think discipline particularly the Balacone incident probably was kind of a key. Lowry also was involved, you know, kind of in a missed, uh, mistimed. Well, I suppose that was more 50-50, wasn't it, Liam, in, in terms of that one with Ramos in the second half. But again, yeah. for the Tom O'Toole, Herring incident, you know, you have to be so careful now in terms of, you know, getting your technique spot on. And it wasn't as if Tom O'Toole had been on the pitch not too long. I think that's probably one that's probably going to great with Ulster rugby management, uh, just given the red card. Yeah, I, I, it will, I know, but I mean, you, it, it's, it's, it is a funny one because you can't honestly say that that was like the key moment, like the suddenly it all collapsed for Ulster, you know what I mean? When it was just that literally, you know, one-on-one that that um, that DuPont saw against Marty Moore. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I could not fault Ulster's performance, funny enough, in in that loss. Um, it was just those, those moments of magic that... Toulouse had that we have to remember last season against Munster in Thoman Park also made all the difference when Munster gave an absolutely hugely physical performance against Toulouse and still came up short quite short actually you know they are a team 
And I suppose we get back to Munster and Tom Park now shortly, but that is the thing with Toulouse, isn't it? They don't panic. Even in the last leg, their home leg against Ulster, when Malia goes off, you know, red card after 11 minutes, other teams essentially would have maybe folded, particularly with the Ulster with big pressure, Balakon getting his hat-trick. There would have been no way back, but I think Toulouse just have this traditional composure as you say, they expect line breaks, they expect to score tries. And I think you've alluded to quite well, you know, Munster to lose now in a quarter final. I suppose we'll get to, let's get it out there in, to, in terms of Tom and Park. Now, the scheduling from the Champions Cup is always precarious to say the least. So I think from a Munster rugby perspective, the Ed Sheeran concert, it represents the revenue stream of revenue stream. So have a few nights down in uh, Tom and Park. I think we've been critical in terms of Tom and Park and its usage of it. Maybe it's disappointing now that it falls slap bang in the middle of a Champions Cup quarterfinal. But what are your thoughts on it, team? Do you just, um, I mean, we're we're in the Aviva Stadium, we're in Dublin. So, what are your viewpoints in terms of the scheduling here of the concert and uh, the ramifications of it? Okay, well, firstly, as you said, Munster need that revenue stream. We have a, a huge uh, debt to pay back for a stadium, and this goes a huge way to remedy remedy that. The other thing we have to always remember is to this wasn't like you know monster just like let's just have a few concerts or whatever happens you know with the rugby. We didn't actually know the dates of this quarter final that was going to happen. In fact, if we be honest about it, we didn't even know if monster would be qualifying. You know for a quarter final. So that's something to always kind of uh, be thinking about in the back of our minds as well. Um, and in ter- in terms of the Aviva. I would have to say we don't have a great record at all there. I can barely remember. The only one I can actually remember, I can remember us winning against Perpignan, was it, in 06? That's about pretty much the only real major knockout game that we've actually won in Lansdowne Stroke Aviva that I can think of. Um, so, you know, you, you, you would think that certainly <laughs> to lose with Mickey, absolutely. And on those wide open spaces there, but um, look in ter- but in, in terms of the cheering thing, I I can't really argue with that. Like you know what I mean? Because it was our it was a re- a big revenue stream and it was already planned, and there was no guarantee that the following weekend, for instance, would be the quarterfinal dates. You know, so that that's what I, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd agree with you leaving there. I think revenue streams are revenue streams. And as you said, that has to be paid on the stadium. And this was a massive opportunity for Muster Rugby. And I don't blame him for it. Uh, and I think from a Viva Stadium perspective, I think it's 65% allocation to Munster uh, for this game. So I think from that perspective, I think we have to embrace it. Now, Toulouse came to Tom Park and I was an empty Tom Park last Easter. <laughs> Absolutely did a number on Munster uh, Rugby. So... To say that we would have significant home field advantage against Toulouse in Tom Park, I think it's maybe a little bit of a factor, but I think Toulouse, you know, kind of were very um, impressive in Tom Park, particularly in that quarter, third quarter when the pack, they adjusted at half time and they really did blow us away, even though we were very physical on the day. So I think from that perspective, Munster have to embrace this. Um, the only other time I can probably remember Munster winning in Aviva is probably the Connacht Rugby, the Rainbow Cup game. You remember there was a bit of an all he- um, double header between Leinster, mm. Ulster and Munster Connacht. I think that was the only one I can really think of 
in terms of uh, Aviva. We've had a wretched record. I'm thinking of the Scarlets. I'm thinking about Leinster games and stuff like that. But we have to embrace it now. I mean, to lose our reigning European champions, that will focus the minds. Um, we have to take confidence in the extra Chiefs game. And we have to improve on it. Uh, so I think, from a monster perspective, they should have nothing to lose going in here. I think deliver a performance and see how it goes. I mean, you know, the likes of Dupont and Tamak, we know what to expect from them 12 months down the line. Have we made adjustments? Probably there. Their pack is pretty awesome. But I think Munster showed against a very physical expertise pack that they're more than capable of competing. Um, so, yeah, I'll be with you there. I think of no issues really on the revenue streams uh, side of things. I think Ed should play away there for another two weeks if he had the chance now, to be honest. Cleared to that. Um, so, but no, it'd be all good there anyway. And I think all the roads will lead to um, the Viva Stadium and there will be plenty of Munster support, both within the province and also exiles that will be going to the game, roaring uh, their hearts out for Munster. And look, why, why, why can't it not be this year, to be fair? Uh, Liam, I suppose the quarterfinal draw then, because this would never have been an issue up until Dupont getting that last minute try. But I suppose get your immediate thoughts on the the, the kind of fixture list. Really, it's kind of fairly tantalisingly poised when you consider the likes of Leicester Tigers versus Leinster, Munster Toulouse, you've La Rochelle Montpellier, and also Racing ninety two against Sale Sharks. I think there's quite a few watering games there, really, to kind of. For everyone really to kind of get their teeth into. Yeah, for for me actually, just the most most watering summers would be would be Leicester at home to Leinster. I mean, that's not a given. That's not a given for 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 Leinster to win in Welford Road, or even if it's if it's in uh, is it Leicester? Is it in the city of Leicester as well? Would it be? Um, it would be in Welford Road for the quarterfinal. Yeah. Um, Welford so Road. I mean, wow. again, so um. I mean, you know, we we talk, we talk about about physicality and you know Exeter, yeah, obviously at physicality, but Leicester are at another level again of physicality, and um, yeah, they score also some scintillating tries as well uh, at the weekend there um, to really put a great gloss on the on the scoreboard. So yeah, they. They they are a kind of a team. They're kind of underrated in terms of how abrasive they are, and um, Leinster won't be getting that like quick rock ball and just that like you know that that, that they're used to. So it's going to be an absolute uh, ding dong battle in a quarter final. It's it's a tricky fixture for Leinster. I, I I'd give it that. Again, they've been very kind of coasting it in terms of, I can think of Montpellier, I can think about rugby, those fixtures. The Connacht rugby second leg really pretty much an aberration, given that Connacht gave as good as they've got here in the sports ground in Galway. But as you say, Leicester Tigers, they will try to reduce this to a bit of an arm wrestle. And it'll be very fascinating. Leo Cullen, obviously heading back to Leicester Tigers after a distinguished playing career um, at Leicester. I think it's evenly poised. I think BT, I think an awful lot of people in England are really fancying Leicester Tigers to really put one over uh, Leinster uh, rugby. But I think overall, I think it's really down to Leinster rugby's performance. Uh, to be honest, Claremont didn't really bring a whole pile <laughs> to the last 16. I thought their performance was well short and really shows a team that are really in a bit of a gradual decline, unfortunately, uh, from their perspective. And I think for Leicester Tigers, the discipline problem, again, they had a red card 
So I think discipline could be a big, big issue here for Leicester Tigers that they'll need to address uh, going into that game. Now, again, some of the tries were scintillating, but again, this is different gravy. This is different kind of pedigree um, that they're going to be up against. Any inaccuracy in discipline or pack accuracy or even defensive line reads are going to be absolutely exploited by this Lancer rugby team. I think they're playing at a level right now that they could win here um, quite handsomely if they produce a performance. But I suppose Tigers will be kind of quietly fancying their chances. Um, an awful lot of good work has gone on this season in Leicester Tigers. When you compare them to last season, where it was all very doom and gloom, I mean, it's a magnificent story for Leicester Tigers and their support. So, no, that will be fascinating. I think for me as well, the La Rochelle-Montpellier game may take a life of its own here, uh, Liam. I mean, start Rochelle uh, have literally, uh, dare I say, put the Bordeaux-Begley's kind of trilogy to bed here. But I think Montpellier and then, and La Rochelle particularly could be facing each other an awful lot in the Pro 14 playoffs, stuff like that. So I think there might be a rivalry here. Again, pack physicality is going to be awesome on that one. <laughs> uh, I do like my pack battles, and I think that one's probably looking pretty meaty, to say the least. Now, again, La Rochelle having the home and field advantage, you can probably nudge it to them. But I think Montpellier have kind of shown here a bit in terms of, they've kind of shocked me in terms of getting through Harlequins for a start anyway. So maybe they come in with no pressure, but I think it's uh, I think that'll be even a prize. Race 92, Sale Sharks. I think you have to give kudos as well to Sale Sharks over that Bristol Bears. Given the early red card, an awful lot of mitigating factors for Sale really to kind of roll down and die. But I think Sanderson has it's been a pretty impressive cameo there from Sale Sharks. Really did bring Bristol Bears to, to school, essentially. Now they're gone facing Racing 92, who really did kind of take start from set pretty easy. I thought that would be more tighter. But I think they're all fascinating games in their own right here, uh, Liam. You know, there's certain teams going in to home venues here with plenty of confidence, I would say. Uh, and, I mean, Munster and the Viva against Toulouse. I mean, the storied history of those two franchises here. I think there's a big performance in Munster, to be perfectly honest. And I think if Toulouse aren't too careful here, there's been some key personnel changes since last season. Munster could actually catch uh, Toulouse on their day. So I think... They're all very evenly poised, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you, you couldn't say that comfortably any team is going to come out a, and and win. So yeah, absolutely, I agree with you on that. In terms of Montpellier, you know, I, I, I do think we have kind of have to put in perspective. Uh, Marcus Smith missing one of the most incredible, oh. you know, conversions ever. Um, you know that really obviously got them through the tie. And then we had good old Matty Williams. Is a uh, seems to think that Montpellier shouldn't be there in the first place because they pretty much, you know, picked up uh, just a few points in the group stages, and uh, that uh, if they would go if they go on further, <laughs> that it would uh, not be good for the integrity of the competition. Good old Matty. So that's what he has to say on that. I know. My heart went out for Marcus Smith because I think he said off air here. His contribution to that Joe Martian try was just nothing short of sensational. What a pass to really kind of break it open. But it's just the pressure of a knockout competition, isn't it, Liam? It's, you know, you just don't get the second chance to you. And I think maybe Harlequins maybe regret maybe 10, 15 minutes before had taking points, 369, really eating into that lead. They were very gung-ho in terms of their approach. Now they're yielding penalties at a rate of knots. You could maybe debate that Mike Adamson could have gone for a card. 
a bit sooner, could have maybe gone for a penalty try, but he didn't. And the fact of the matter was, it was set up for Smith, and unfortunately, you know, it was a, just a pressurised kick, I'm afraid. And I think for Marcus Smith, he will learn from it. But again, I think for Harlequins, you know, that was a bitter blow, you know, to take, given, you know, their performance at the weekend. But I mean, Montpellier, they're there on merit, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think they're going into these games with not much pressure on them. You know, they're, you know, particularly in the pool stages, they did really set their tone up, particularly that Leinster away performances pretty dreadful but again it was up to other teams to tally points to get them out of the big dance they didn't and now they're into a quarter final so i think la rochelle will be well warned in terms of montpellier their pack physicality um zach mercer and co they have the talent out wide if need be so i think that's a fascinating fixture but yeah matt you know he's kind of he was kind of sticking it to scotland now he's sticking it to montpellier so i don't know who it'll be next week uh lean before we go here um I suppose you had a few comments in terms of Graham Rowntree. Um, he appeared on a, a rugby podcast recently. Were you talking about Munster Rugby and uh, kind of um, plans, really, or lack of them? I don't know if you want to kind of... Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, on, on the rugby pod, yeah. So he, he was, he, it was, I suppose, his first major interview, really, since he was appointed as Munster's head coach there. Um, in, in, in terms of what he was saying about the, the Munster backroom team, you know, which... A bit disappointing, but he said he's still he's speaking to people at the moment, and that come pre-season, Munster will know, uh, the players will know what he wants of them uh, and what kind of style he's going to be having. Um, you know, I would I would be thinking, you know, it, it'd be nice to have already in place some sort of backroom team uh, knowledge, and that there's no new signings for the 22-23 season that he's very happy with the young players that are coming through and he doesn't feel that there's anyone he has to particularly go out and, and get at the moment. So that kind of stood out for me, basically, considering we have, uh, again, we're probably just the lightest, probably, if you're honest, uh, at number three, a tight head prop. Yeah, tight head for me. Now, this story was an opportunity for... Mr. Graham Rowntree to go to a few maybe kind of club games, senior club games, particularly we're getting into the playoff side of things. Might be a bad idea for him to go see a few uh, games here and maybe identify some tight head prop talent that might not be already in provincial systems. See if there's, a, you know, some some good talent there because, I mean, that is probably the key position here that I think we're a little bit nervous on. And just given the performance of John Ryan at the weekend, I thought his leadership was exemplary, led from the front, Great ball carries, you know, tackling. It's really, really um, kind of disappointing. Sad to see John Ryan go, particularly when you see performances like that from him. But again, we're going to have to move on. And I think we're definitely going to have to identify academy players who can really step up here and really kind of get to the next level. And yeah, maybe round three kind of see stuff going on in the academy that we're not seeing day in, day out, week in, week out in these senior games. But hopefully that tight head position particularly because Archer, if he was to go down for any extent of time next season, I think we might be in big trouble. There may need to be kind of emergency loan deals, stuff like that. So maybe it's kind of a PR to kind of say, look, everything's fine in terms of squad. But again, backroom staff wise not being assembled. So if it, you know, the transfer window really has come and gone there. So, and you know, it's probably a ringing endorsement for the existing squad that there will be continuity. But I would imagine that Roundtree will try to bring in a few guys into the backroom staff that he's fully worked with and has trust in. 
um, which will be exciting. So, no, that was a great, team. Thanks for that. I suppose, team, before we kind of end here, URC, unbelievably, we're round 16 of 18 coming up. Anything really kind of uh, come to mind? I mean, from a Munster rugby perspective, it's kind of on a little bit of a knife edge at the moment. Like, we've Ulster away, we've Leinster away, and we also have Cardiff Blues at home, and I think conceivably we may have to win two out of three to kind of maybe secure ourselves with a nice uh, qualification berth in the playoffs and also Champions Cup qualification next season. Yeah, I, I, I say we're pretty certain that we're going to finish probably probably seventh or eighth, you know, as things stand, if we just get one win from three. But as you say, we need we, we need to get realistically two wins um, from the remaining three fixtures. And so starting this weekend, obviously, you know, we're going to Ulster, who I think are going to be absolutely pumped up yeah. after what happened to them last week there. Um, so we've got to pick something up there and you know we're, we're absolutely capable of doing that there's nothing about it but also there are two other crucial fixtures and they involve the South African teams where we're kind of wanting maybe someone to do us a, a bit of a favour at least the Stormers are at home to Glasgow on the Friday night and on Saturday the Sharks um, are at home to Leinster so that's that, that's kind of uh, all to be taken into account as well um, but in terms in terms of um, Ulster Munster, um, yeah, I mean we've we've done it in the past. We've we've, we've had surprisingly good performances up there, and I, I think it's going to be an absolutely cracking game. Um, for Ulster too, I, I think essentially the team that wins is likely to be semi finalists and, and and have home advantage in 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 the um, in the next stage. So that that's how crucial the game it is, essentially. No, huge for both teams. And I'll be intrigued to see the team selection as we kind of record this. This is, you know, well at the start of the week on prep uh, for those games. But I think also rugby, it'll be an interesting team selection. Again, I think there's a few battered bodies after that Toulouse game. I think there's probably going to be a mix of first team regulars that featured against Toulouse, but also squad players. Like we talked at talked at length here in terms of some of the guys that didn't come on for Ulster, um, likes of Bradley Roberts and Eric O'Sullivan, um, Nathan Doak, Luke Marshall, Rob Little. I think we'll be featuring. So I think from that perspective, they will be all guns blazing. I think they want to kind of rectify a few wrongs, um, which weren't much to be perfectly honest. I think just to lose were just quality on the night. Uh, Munster, I mean, what do they do here? Again, the managing of certain players is probably key. So I think you may see kind of maybe more fringe squad players getting an opportunity here. Um, maybe Jason Jenkins getting a kind of a good kind of cameo here. It needs is needed right now. Maybe Thomas O'Hearn as well in the second row. You maybe we have to rest up John Klein a little bit, headed to lose, that sort of thing. So it will be interesting just to see the two team selections. But Munster definitely need to get something, even if it's a loser bonus point. I think it's required just to kind of stave off any sort of uh, any kind of jitters because I mean Cardiff Blues at home will be probably a must win and then Leinster away sure we know how phenomenal Leinster are but maybe Leinster will be having one eye on the Champions Cup and might provide maybe a weak inside but that's very kind of hearsay to be honest but I think realistically maybe two kind of wins out of three is required and it's looking a bit of a tall order there for Munster I suppose going into Connacht as well Connacht are down in Johannesburg to face Lions and I think from a Munster's experience can really take the lines too uh, lightly uh, with their recent upsurge in form. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the four sovereign says, but if the if the Lions had even got one or two extra victories before this, they would be in in contention also for the playoffs. Um, but you know, I, 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 in a funny way, I I think Connacht are going fully loaded, and I think that game is going to be in the melting pot. Um, I, you know, I I think Connacht are capable of getting the the, the victory actually in that game. You know, they have the players to do it for sure. Well, they certainly do, uh, Liam, without a shadow of a doubt to do. But again, you know, they have the Sharks um, the following week and then they finish up uh, their season uh, against, uh, bear with me here, against Zebri. So you would expect them to pick up the five points. Realistically, they need to win all their games and really see how the dice rolls, uh, as we kind of said at the start of the podcast. And then Leinster down in um, South Africa now, again, we've kind of heard in terms of some Leinster Supporters saying oh, it's a bit unfortunate in terms of where they are, but they have to go down at some point. Now they play Sharks um, on Saturday at 5.15 and then kind of quickly followed by that by a very tantalising fixture against the Stormers the following week. Now I think the selection, to be fair, has been a bit of a mixed selection. Some first-team marquee names have been kept at home in Dublin, while certain guys will be down probably for the first week with a view to probably bringing them back up to... Uh, uh, to Ireland to prepare for that Leicester Tigers game. So, how do you see Leinster's run here um, against those two? Yeah, well, well firstly, they, they have six of the lads who um, were featured in the last 16 uh, game. Um, a few of those lads, obviously, you know, are, are the likes of uh, Kelleher and Porter, who really basically need, need, need game time, right? So, you would be thinking of it, if, if you're looking at it, that they also, you know, obviously the European uh, Cup is going to be upcoming. I think they may actually keep guys for the following week. Some of the, some of the, you know, some of the other guys. And this this weekend, yeah, um, Sharks versus Leinster. Just when you have the O'Briens in the team, you always yeah. have a chance, basically, you know. I certainly would profess them. I, I think that the the sharks, in a way, even though they have some some of the Springboard players, they're the, the flakiest of of the teams uh, remaining. Like compared to say, like the Bulls or the the Stormers, um, they already got turned over and were comprehensively beaten. Okay, only the ones by by Edinburgh. So yeah, I mean, I I give Leinster a chance to at least um, pick up a losing bonus point in this game. Yeah, I think sharks have been very inconsistent. Uh, to be fair. Yeah, I think if uh, Leinster are going to target a win, I think it probably will be against the Sharks. I think Stormers might be, you know, maybe kind of a baptism fire for some of the fringe players of Leinster. And I think it's a great experience. I think Munster, Ulster have seen as well. It's a different brand of rugby down there at the moment, uh, just given the conditions and how the game is played. You know, the, it's so quick to break down um, there. So, yeah, I think Leinster will see in first hand what it is it's it's a nice tour to kind of end it really but again with the european champions cup there as well maybe a little bit of a distraction at the moment but i think um certain players as you say Liam, will need game time and then to come back then to ireland for preparation for champions cup may just be what the doctor ordered um yeah so all to look forward to there um Liam, we might leave it there it's been a lengthy one but many thanks because i think we definitely had an awful lot to review there um again it's been a scintillating weekend of rugby Easter weekend so hopefully more of the same in the URC uh, next week and we'll probably review that team thanks again thank you for listening to this podcast episode 
If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports. 